Chapter Five of Miss Pym's Camouflage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Miss Pym's Camouflage by Lady Dorothy Stanley. Chapter Five. Purdy to Pym sped through northern France in a high-powered motor with an attentive officer and an expert chauffeur. She wore serviceable tweed, stout shoes, and a rainproof hat. She carried field glasses and a small rucksack strapped to her shoulders and the inevitable handbag. Captain Percy couldn't imagine what Miss Pym was coming out for, but the chiefs made a fuss about her, so he did his best to make her trip comfortable. Of course, everything was new and wonderful to Miss Pym. The masses of transport, the troops, the ammunition lorries, the Red Cross ambulances, the joyous crowds going off expectant, the broken men, still joyous, returning, the Englishmen amid the French people, the French amid the English, all the strange, amazing fact of war, accepted by everyone as commonplace. She drove through a British settlement, church, chapel, meeting-house, clubs, gymnasium, playing fields, an aldershot in France. Captain Percy was an admirable Cicerone. They landed at the Hotel de Signe, somewhere in France. Miss Pym was rather tired and not a little shaken, for the many-horsepower car had leapt along the stone-paved roads of the north till it slowed down in an old French town, crowded with Tommies going to the front. The déjeuner brought rest and comparative quiet. Miss Pym asked about her brother's regiment, wondering whether it would be possible to visit him. Captain Percy thought he must be somewhere about Armentieres. It was remarkable how little they had in common, these two. Miss Pym was timidly on her guard, and Captain Percy nervously pulled his moustache, wondering what the old girl was after. She had let out that she knew nothing of nursing. She could not possibly have come out as an entertainer, singer, or conjurer. Votes for women? Certainly not here, somewhere in France. Well, they were nearing their destination. The sound of the guns told Miss Pym that she was not so very far from those parallel lines of trench where men crouched and waited to attack or be attacked. I am to take you to a jolly little auberge kept by Mère Dupont, said Captain Percy. Mamma Dupont, as our boys call her. She defied the Bosch when they smashed through and as the mare was killed she assumed the scarf of office and by jove she overawed them she thinks no end of the british and simply worships sir hugh douglas but we shall not be here long for every night we move our camp one day's march nearer home headquarters don't shift quite so fast as that though but when we get them on the trot we'll have to shift forward pretty quick here we are now I must leave you in better hands, and hurry off to report. Mère Dupont, a stout, self-possessed Frenchwoman, dressed in black with a vast black alpaca apron and a white tulle cap tied under her ample chin, gave her fat dimpled hand to help Madame descend, and with few words, but with the long look of understanding, which is sympathy, led Miss Pym to votre appartement au premier a large room flooded with the tender glory of a setting sun the waxed parquet was uneven rising in gentle waves here and there the furniture upholstered 
course in crimson utrecht velvet was tightly backed with spotless crochet before each fauteuil was a little round of matting bound with braid the bed was important it towered like a man-of-war in highly polished walnut and the eiderdown reposed on it like an immense souffle i know the english taste madame wants tea my officers have come to prefer mere dupont's cafe but madame shall have real english tea et de golfe the tea came at last in a large metal pot with a wire basket attached to the spout and a small quantity of boiling hot milk a big farm servant girl in short skirts her bare feet thrust into straw slippers disposed of the tray on a table with uneven legs and retired breathing noisily miss pym laughs to this day at the recollection of that famous thé anglais mysterious sticks and chips floating in warm water the perfume was not unpleasant though slightly medicinal the liquid poured out was pale lavender in colour no wonder the officers preferred madame dupont's cafe the sudden stillness was very soothing the windows looked out on a potager and beyond was a farm the comfortable lowing of cattle could be heard and at intervals the call of a green parrot vite vite sinon and then a string of naughty words everything had happened so quickly since that fateful day that miss pym felt as though she had lost all initiative i can hardly call my soul my own certainly i cannot call my body my own and now i am as it were to be blindfolded turned round three times and shoved into germany miss pym now took the war office instructions from her handbag general instructions as to making maps describing gun emplacements simple instructions regarding the compass showing relative positions from various starting points miss pym carried two compasses one provided by sir hector russell the other in the form of a locket she wore round her neck was a gift from leslie it had taken miss pym many hours to understand the use of a compass and as for map-making her main idea seemed to be a picturesque sketch of doubtful accuracy she now felt keenly her general incapacity how defective my education has been i know nothing of topography nothing of engineering i cannot drive a motor and i could not possibly fly she had spent three afternoons at froghurst firing off a service revolver at a haystack she had hit the haystack and incidentally killed a sow coming round at the moment but although she could load the pistol her aim was most uncertain the revolver invariably jerked up or dipped down it had been decided that she was not to carry a revolver since she would always be able to commandeer any german officer's weapon my dear father little foresaw what his perdita would one day be called upon to do if i had had say a few months notice how i should have trained day and night i should have trained i should have studied german military terms tactics gunnery everything likely to be of value to a well to a spy it is something to be thankful for that i know german so well sir hector russell assured me that few officers know french and there are hardly any who know german miss pym sighed 
and looked round the room the pictures on the walls were interesting crudely coloured prints representing la première communion la mariée la deuil on the mantelpiece stood an impressive gilt clock a golden maiden standing on one toe pointing to a winged and gilded youth very scantily clad asleep on a gilt bank on the pedestal of this group were engraved the words l'amour d'or next to the clock was a small polished shell with a label au bout allemand eighteen seventy miss pym felt restless a longing for mamma dupont and dear human speech induced her to creep down the stairs and start exploring when cheerful english voices in detestable and incorrect french made her retreat to a dark angle hola hola mother dupont here come your hungry children your thirsty children you mean broke in another voice on y va on y va called mere dupont voyez moi ça c'est gosse anglais comme ça mange et comme ça boit eh eh mais il est méritant bien the officers went into the yard and were plunging heads and hands into pails of water whilst the farm girl stood by ready to hand them from a pile large squares of creamy white homespun linen as towels miss pym fled back to her room over the salle a manger and shortly after heard the scraping of chairs on the boarded floor and the clatter of knives and forks but the meal was short and soon the men withdrew some to their rooms others strolling about the potager the delicate aroma of cigars and cigarettes stealing in at the window mere dupont herself now came up to fetch down miss pym the salle a manger was orderly and at the far end of the long table a small cloth was spread for miss pym and there she tasted a dinner fit for a princess never had miss pym sat down to such a treat hot appetizing properly flavoured a french meal such as all classes in france expect and enjoy this time and with more reason perdita pym felt that her education had been neglected let me see your cuisine and thank your cuisiniere she said to her hostess who stood calm as a lady abbess smiling at miss pym's enthusiasm and what a surprise was that kitchen a quite small outhouse or lean-to stone-paved no fireplace proper only a moderate-sized stove covered with earthen marmites and some burnished copper stew-pans the cook was a little wizened hunchback with the face of a very old monkey she wore a frilled white cap close round her face it came enhancing its mahogany hue she had to stand on a wooden stool to look into her saucepans a veritable old witch with the skill of a witch too an officer's orderly was scraping carrots suddenly the dwarf darted across to him and gave him a sound clack on the cheek voyez moi ça she screamed holding up a piece of carrot peel c'est comme ça qu'il épluche mes carottes what does she mean asked miss pym the orderly rubbed his cheek and grinned oh i cut a bit deep in that there carrot mamselle thought it waste and besides according to the french folk you lose the flavour of the vegetable if you cut away too much of the outside but lor 
they do know how to cook why they can make a rare meal with what we throw away as for their corfi and the orderly threw up his eyes in ecstasy miss pym turned to madame and asked where the fiat de cuisine was oh we need no fiat de cuisine unless you count him pointing to the orderly madeleine does all the cooking and washing up of course when we have a great concourse of officers mary rose the girl lends a hand ah il faut boucher ces jours-ci she said laughing miss pym thought of the cook at froghurst who considered a kitchen-maid insufficient and insisted on a scullery-maid as well mere dupont seemed to read what was passing in her mind oh yes i have heard about your english servants but all english people are lazy vous êtes devenue une race paresseuse excepté quand vous vous battez if i get back to froghurst thought miss pym but that if reminded her of her mission how much better mere dupont would do it she thought humbly at the door of the auberge stood a young british officer to see the english lady if you are rested and it is quite convenient will you allow me to escort you to headquarters at the mairie sir hugh douglas is very anxious to see you miss pym walked through the village high street with the boyish captain isn't it a ripping evening summer has come with a rush and after such months of wet misery do you know the chief personally oh well after five minutes you'll feel you've known him for ever so long he's awfully understanding they were now at the town hall a big whitewashed house in no way imposing miss pym was taken into a large room where officers sat at telephones and maps lay in rolls on large deal tables sir hugh hastened to greet her miss pym i am exceedingly glad to meet you i think we had better get out of this room there are too many telephones going it would disturb you here murcott desmond price you come along with us and send across for ames this way miss pym and he led her up a fine staircase to a large room overlooking the place colonel price carried up a big lamp of course you know miss pym we are quite in the dark began sir hugh then everyone started laughing for the lamp suddenly faded out colonel price jumped on a table and lit the candles in a chandelier suspended from the ceiling two more lamps were brought in and the room was brilliantly illumined we none of us know in the least what you can do for us what you intend to do sir robert speaks emphatically but he is cryptic so here we are all most eager to know and ready to help you all we can miss pym had prepared many little speeches but not a word could she remember so she said quickly well sir robert wishes me to cross over to the german lines to note the gun emplacements to put the guns out of action if only for a bit oh i don't know what else he suggests to shoot the kaiser i think also hindenburg and others to take their maps and printed instructions and to terrify the men if possible miss pym had got so used to the idea of what could be done she had forgotten the effect her words would have on the commander-in-chief and his staff they were looking at each other in utter bewilderment at this juncture general ames entered hullo i hope i'm not too late to hear the plans oh they are quite simple said colonel murcott dryly this lady has come to spike the german guns 
Kill the Kaiser and Hindenburg, and get all their maps. What? Sir Hugh Douglas moved restlessly, and said with some asperity, Please, Miss Pym, explain yourself. Williamson has written to me quite seriously. He did not, however, tell me your plans. He merely said you could be of use. Please, Miss Pym, collect yourself, and then make it clear how you propose to be of service to the British Army. Sir Hugh's manner was cold, his tone cutting, and his grey eyes flashed. Miss Pym suddenly felt nervous and trapped. Oh, if only kind Sir Hector Russell were with her, or the dear vicar, these men of war would never understand or believe. She stood by the table, looking round at the door, as though she meditated flight. Here, sit down, Miss Pym, said Colonel Murcott. Gentlemen, be seated. There is no hurry. Take your own time, and be sure of our sympathetic attention. You see, you have rather knocked us out. And at the first round, he added kindly. I know, said Miss Pym, feeling a nervous inclination to laugh or cry. She was not sure which. I know that what I have said was surprising, but it is nothing to what I am going to do, now and here. The staff stared at her in silence. You see, continued Miss Pym, I am just an ordinary, rather incompetent English lady. I am not brave, I am not trained to suffer or endure, but I am patriotic. I mean I am willing to suffer for my country. That is why I am here. Sir Hugh pushed back his chair impatiently, but Murcott put his hand soothingly on his sleeve, and his lips shaped the unspoken word, wait. I am here, said Miss Pym steadily, rising from her chair, because I have the faculty of disappearing. Oh, rot, cried Sir Hugh fiercely. Then he added, I beg your pardon, Miss Pym, but we are engaged in such tremendous business we cannot permit ourselves to be detained by talk like this. Still, Sir Hugh, remember that Sir Robert Williamson sent me. It would, I feel sure now, it would have been better if he had told you of my strange and quite unaccountable power but it was thought to be so incredible he preferred that you should learn about this power by actual demonstration. If you will now watch me closely, you will see me disappear, and this chair will also disappear. Miss Pym seated herself, folded her hands, closed her eyes, and nothing happened. Gladly would she have disappeared forever. She realized the saying about blood running cold. A sound as of rushing waters was in her ears. She dared not open her eyes or look up. Sir Hugh rose very quietly. I think now, he said, the farce is played out. Murcott, will you conduct this lady back to the inn? There must be some hanky-panky about those letters purporting to come from Williamson. Sir Hugh strode to the door, but Miss Pym was quicker. She flung herself against the door with outstretched arms and stared up into the irate general's face then leaning her head back against the door she disappeared and the door also disappeared and the passage became dimly visible sir hugh started back and the staff grouped round him sir hugh said miss pym faintly i am still here standing against the door put out your hand and feel like a blind man sir hugh groped he passed his hand over Miss Pym's face, felt her head and shoulders, the door beyond. Gentlemen, he said, turning to the others, is this exact? Has the lady really disappeared? 
or am I hypnotized? If you are, sir, we are all equally affected. We can see neither Miss Pym nor the door. Miss Pym joyfully submitted to the imposition of hands. Eagerly they questioned her, all at once, boyishly, impulsively. Suddenly a knocking was heard against the invisible door. General Rayner stood there, visible to all, but unable to enter. Miss Pym moved aside, still invisible, and the door reappeared. She sank down in a chair, and the chair disappeared. End of chapter 5